Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time about. for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Holy smokes, I looked up at the clock. Of course, I know what time it is. But uh, it's my wife's birthday's eve. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you don't have that in your house? No. What do you? How do you guys kick off birthday month? <laughs> Thought it was just birthday week. <laughs> wow. Oh, good times. All right. Well, happy birthday, baby. Um, gosh, thanks to everybody from Motor Mouse sticking around. It's a fascinating show. I I like the car talk. Thanks to Motor Mouse for the plug. Yeah, that was pretty nice. Indeed. All right, we're the new kids on the block, huh? Right. Here at 9 a.m. Well, I, I thought you were going to say here with just like six years tenure. That show's been on for a while, hasn't it? Uh, almost 22 years. Holy cow. See? Almost wow. I had no idea. You were talking yeah. new kids about the time. I'm yeah. talking new kids about a couple decades. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah what a great show. And, uh, you know, I one thing I think it's also a really cool alignment of the focus for us is always come on here. And give away information, tricks, secrets, help people avoid pitfalls, you know, develop that credibility that way. How cool that someone's doing that uh, about the car, you know? Call and get help, then when you need service, you know where to go. So, uh, we have a lot to do today. Yeah, we have an exciting guest. couple of hours. Yeah. I'm prepared to to walk us through some housing and jobs, a little bit of economic stuff. I brought some fascinating things about lending that uh, are coming about. I'm I'm already fascinated. <laughs> are you? <laughs> I'm captivated. Yeah, it sounds sounds awesome. Uh, I, I sense <laughs> I sense you're being cheeky with me. In the second hour, we're going to be joined by Lenny Grant. He's Wow. After sitting down with Lenny. I was wondering what you were going to say. He's, you're not going to get this in one sentence. He's involved in a lot of different things. Yeah. He's a really neat guy. Um, I, there's a lot of different adjectives I can use to describe him, but we're going to invite him. He's a housing dude. Hour. Yeah. And he's we're, coming in to talk about housing and going to talk about something you can tell he's quite passionate about, which is workforce housing, looking for the kind of housing for the, the, um, the workforce, basically. And... Um, there's a lot to talk about there and I'm excited about it. And it lets me kind of live out a little bit of my old city and regional planning world as we talk about some of that stuff, particularly, you know, like the housing element or circulation would talk about, um, those income restrictions and some of the other projects, things the city does to encourage affordable housing around the city. And, um, you know, all in all, I, we're going to talk about something controversial today, which is San Luis doesn't want to grow, right? We got the zero growth <laughs> thing going on, and we don't build enough houses, but uh, there's some pretty good arguments to be made that we need to build some. And I think that some are coming. It's a function of where and how. So uh, we'll be doing that for the whole second hour. 
Um, so, yeah. And, yes, congratulations to the A's for beating the Angels. Great game. Oh, yeah. Run it back tonight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so um, things have gotten more tense in the office lately. Oh? <laughs> I just feel bad for the 49ers losing their first game at the their stadium. new stadium. Yeah. That, How bad is that? Not only that, but they didn't score any points in that first game. That was terrible. That was yeah. last uh, Saturday or Sunday. It's last Sunday. Obviously, there was something wrong with the grass. That's why they're replacing it. Sure. Out. I mean, it was <laughs> if you paint it too green, then <laughs> cleats get stuck in it. And yeah. 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 So there. Yeah. Uh, what's the problem with losing your first game in your stadium? It just. Isn't that just kind of bad? I mean, to no. lose the first game in the new I'm, stadium. I would, I would view that. I mean, yeah, you're gonna be bummed if you're a fan, but it's, yeah. it's just gonna show you that you gotta work no matter how fancy your car is. You ain't Mario guess, Andretti. Uh, right. <laughs> 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 gonna have to work for it. I'm offended that you even brought up football on our show. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> but you it's know, not even football season to. yet. Well, We're about okay. to go into. Um, October. No, September. And you should know that the Angels and A's are playing like uh, seven times in 10 days. Okay. And there's I only should. a one game with no breaks. Right yeah. Wow. Two best records in baseball. And you start bringing up like football. Um, Is it January already? No, but. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to clobber you like that. Oh, it's okay. It's okay, Jason. I'll just turn down your mic. That's all. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. You'll get the last laugh. Put some filter on me, that, you know, like a vocal filter that makes me sound really dumb. <laughs> um, hey, so we talk about this all the time on the show. Sing. This economy is all about housing and all about jobs and. I, I do want to repeat ourselves a little bit today, Dan, because I think there's things we've talked about on the show in years past that we've not talked about in our new time frame. And there's probably new people listening that should be brought up to speed on this. Um, so here's something that I say our regular listeners will uh, recognize this bit here. But it's to me the way that I was raised, the son of a contractor, I, I just think building homes and working on homes and all that anything related to do with the house kind of is the economy to me it always felt like that's the plumber the electrician the appraiser the realtor the loan officer the escrow agent you know all the way down the list to me that is all of the jobs and um, I know that it's not obviously there's plenty of jobs outside of that but it all feels so critical that the housing environment is strong and the jobs environment is strong. And when we went through this recession, both took it square on the nose. And with the dump in housing, we destroyed the jobs market that was related to most things housing. And then, of course, once you do that, money starts getting sucked out of the economy because people don't have that money to spend and end up with all of that kind of thing going on so as the feds have made so many attempts to with every tool they have to try to give this economy a, a, a shot in the arm um, it's been the focus has been on housing and jobs and um, so it's it's really cool to see some of that stuff beginning to pay off I feel like housing's really normalized in the last year um, you know we always joke that we don't know what normal is but it really went from 
out of control inflating to like a pop, a pop and everything fell to half of its value. And then nobody kind of wanted to buy it except for really smart investors that way underbought homes. And then they started getting this lift again that got pretty fast. Um, and now for the last year, things are a little bit slower and a little bit more normal. I actually think housing is busier today um, in terms of the the low number of transactions and high sales prices um, the pace of inflation is a little bit faster than it should be. But the good news is, is that we're seeing a lot of stability in housing and jobs. And this week, some of the high points of what to talk about have to do with housing um, and also a little bit about jobs. It's not an employment report week, um, but every week we do learn about initial jobless claims. And um We've been getting pretty excited about this lately. Um, I feel like I'm on the sidelines cheering on somebody that's come from way behind and is nearing the front of the pack. Um, this this metric of how many people are are filing for first time unemployment benefits, the numbers have dropped so amazingly. The four week average is now below three hundred thousand. There was a little blip two weeks ago, but you know this last week, 14,000 less people showed up for initial jobless claims, um, which is a total of 298,000 for the week. That's really a good number. Um, it ties right into uh, where we were pre-recession. So that's a, that's a good sign. It's a really good number. That four-month average is right around 300,000. It's a it's a pre-recession number and then on the flip side the hiring the hiring's still great since february so the six months since february we've averaged two hundred and forty four thousand jobs added each month that's that's strong i mean it's not it could be better but that's a strong number from where we've come from over the last five years or so indeed and that's funny too is that um right around the time that the tapering stopped last year was when we got a couple of pretty bad jobs report created less than 100,000 jobs, I think a couple months in a row. Um, and those months were, I think, kind of funky or whatever. If you could take those months out of the metrics, um, you know, the the job creation level is, is decent. But hey, averaging 244, that's pretty good. That's enough to keep up with um, population growth. And that's enough to be returning the, con the economy back to full steam. And once we have those those jobs creating people back to work, that's when you'll see the lag behind is the wages and then the quality of jobs, right? Kind of got the beggars can't be choosers mentality. So once the beggars have, um, are done because they've gotten jobs, they're not being laid off and the economy is growing, now they can begin to choose to work for those more skilled jobs and those higher wages. And that'll be, I think, the final piece of this puzzle. Um, on the, on the jobs front, uh, I asked you about this yesterday. I, I got up early and did a little bit of research today about, um, the fed symposium is what's happening in Jackson hole this week. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's not totally known what it is. The whole purpose of thing there, everybody speculates that it's about the labor market. Um, there's seven and a half million part-time workers who want full-time jobs. And that's one thing that Janet Yellen and the Fed got to be having their eyes on is how many jobs are there? Um, are they good jobs? Are they are these people that are underemployed and needing full employment? 
um, they're not having to ask those questions very much because that stuff's pretty well known. Um, but the point is trying to move the economy in a way um, to, to create real health in the jobs market and get those people that want full-time work the ability to work full-time. I saw an interview this week with the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Atlanta district <clears throat> fed president. And um, he was just talking about how there's more to unemployment than that headline number, something that we talk about a lot here. And he was, he himself described himself as a U sixer. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, he's looking at more than just the employment, the unemployment rate. He's looking at quality of jobs. He's looking at how employed is someone? Are they, are they reaching their full potential of employment or are they working at something less than what they, they should be given their skill and education level? And he, he was much more, you know, as good as these reports have been and as consistent as these reports have been, he was still kind of in that, you know, this could go either way. That, that was kind of the feeling he was expressing, that this economy still isn't isn't fully It's not healed. robust. No, it's not. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we, we used to say this when the TARP things were going on and pretty full swing is that it's almost like you've been on life support now and there's sort of one by one removing you here, not quite pulling the plug, but is it's unclear if you're going to breathe on your own when they take the ventilator off. And, and that's really what's been going on. And, you know, it is a really tricky thing. The thing is, too, is you don't see it. You can't make a change in this economy and see it work the next morning. They have to start making changes and changing statement and affecting policy and setting expectations. And you watch how that sort of guides the super tanker for months on end, right? And so we only, we probably only just in the last few months really understand now exactly how the Fed's announcing that they were going to stop buying mortgage-backed securities and treasuries back Last May, we really only understand right now what that did. We know what it did now. It's really clear what it did. It raised interest rates up in a knee-jerk reaction, higher than they now are. So they kind of bounced and settled. In doing so, those higher costs stole a little bit of the enthusiasm out of the home buyer market. And then the other problem is without construction, um, we've got sellers, I think, sellers in the last year, unless you really had to sell, kind of got to be freaked out to sell. Because if you sell your house, there's not a guarantee you're going to find a replacement house. So you got those people kind of hoarding real estate, not knowing what to do. And it sort of slowed everything down a little bit. So I think that, you know, just that time that it needs to see how these things affect um, is a touchy little game. And and it's it's known right now that that the jobs market could really go either way, and um, just we're heading into a major election year. Um, so much of Congress is changing out. Um, guess what's going to start coming up in the headlines? Debt ceiling. Oh, no. Bam a lamb. That's in <laughs> September. So we're going to start all of that over again. That's fun. Maybe some government shutdowns or something. I don't know. Maybe it's going to get really exciting. Well, another thing that's that still seems to be weighing on the economy, and I, I kind of feel like I personally forgot about this a little bit because it doesn't seem to be happening here as much, but there are people who still own real estate that's underwater 
Um, it feels like we've cured a lot of those problems, um, but still hear those stories every week about someone owning real estate, needing, needing a little more time before they can get out from under something without having to pay to close the transaction. I like the way you phrase this, that, that you've forgotten about it because it's not so prevalent around here. I'm going to go the other way on it and say, nonsense. Where are these people? That you, you say that there's no one underwater. I mean, I don't want to say no one, but I do think it's pretty few and far between at this point. And, you know, I got to imagine, too, is that the people that hung on this far, it's not killing them that they're underwater because they managed to beg, borrow, and, and steal their way to today. And for those that did, for the variety of reasons why they did it, congratulations and thank you. Those people that, that have hung on, they're, they're virtually healed. Well, yeah, and I'm not suggesting that they're going to go delinquent and cause a problem. No. But, for example, a woman yesterday working, helping work on a loan scenario, she owns a second home that she cannot get rid of because it's underwater currently. They owe more than it's worth, would like to get rid of it for a variety of reasons. The fact that they can't, they're continuing to hang on and make the payment, but that's $4,000 a month that they're having to allocate towards you know, owning this property that they really don't want to own that could go, that would just be discretionary income if they didn't have that, that second home. Yeah. So that's something that, that could be weighing down. And, and I really don't know how many people are facing those kind of issues. I, I only rolled my eyes because this week I'd, I caught a couple times on the TV on some of the various little finance talk shows that are on in the office. One of them was suggesting that um, much of the nation's uh, housing inventory is still underwater with people that were unable to refinance either because they lacked credit um, qualifying because of you know a loss of income or damaged credit from some other type of item or they um, they just simply don't have a Fannie or Freddie owned loan and there's been nothing to help them out along the way and I just kind of thought yeah I, I don't think it's as prevalent as it was, and I, I don't know how significant it is to play into the whole housing economy right now. Um, but yeah, you know, that's part of it too, though. That's also part of the tight inventory is that there are still people that may not necessarily be underwater, but they don't have the equity that it would take to even sell without cash and putting some cash in escrow. Uh, the down and dirty numbers for me, when somebody says I have a house that I'm going to sell for a hundred thousand bucks, you know, what should I expect? Are you, it's going to cost you 7% to sell your house. That's about the rule of thumb. When you factor in the commissions, it's going to take seller has some closing costs on their side and they usually split an escrow fee with the buyer. Uh, all in it, it usually is like 7%. So if you're talking a $400,000 house, you know, you better expect that you're losing $28,000. Well, not losing, but that's your cost to transact that sell. And if so, if your home isn't worth that, you don't have that margin to have the ability to sell, then maybe some of the stuff's tied up from that. Um, as part of that statistic, though, is um, talking about employment stuff. Um, February of this year marked a five-year low of part-time workers. Um, and as of now, we actually have 325,000 more of those part-time workers wanting full-time work than we had in February. 
So that kind of shows this little growing class of people that are going, I'm thrilled to have found work. Don't get me wrong. And I'm, I'm here and I'm wanting it. But what I really want is to be a full-time employee with a head of household income. And so that's, that's that part that, that I think everyone's most concerned about now is we've created a lot of jobs. Now it's time to get it moving towards those being quality jobs with good, good pay um, and increasing pay. Wages have been stagnant for a long time, and that drags the economy big time. It's 925 right now, which means we have to take time out to thank the sponsors. Listen up, you guys. If they don't buy these commercials, you'd have to send us a buck to listen to the show. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. guys welcome back appreciate you being with us it's just before 9 30 here so dan and i are spending this first hour here kind of wrapping through some of the oh a smattering of news clippings about all things related to uh housing economics type of stuff that matters to us um 
I got a question for you, Dan, in vain of our new listeners here that are wondering, do these guys really come on the radio every weekend and talk about this boring job stuff and the beige book? Um, why? What do you care about any of this stuff for? What does it matter? What does it have to do with getting a loan? It's just something to do on a Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. No, all these things matter. All these things play into what the Fed's deciding to do with, uh, you know, with with Treasury buying and mortgage-backed security buying and the, you know, recovering jobs, recovering housing. The, all these things matter. They they speak to different parts of the economy and how strong they are, how much they're growing, or not. Well, and the people that work in the financial markets almost hang on the edge of their chair the minute the market opens is they don't want to get caught missing the boat on something they should have known that they needed to sell or buy. Um, they, they want to be so well informed and hang on the details so that they can anticipate um, and be positioned rather than reacting. Um, this is really why we like to pay such close attention to this stuff. Mortgage rates, uh, I was reminded again the other day that people don't even know this. They don't even know that mortgage rates change multiple times a day, every single day, and it's guaranteed. So people say, oh, hey, well, what's the, what's the rate today? It's complicated and it's not. And I'll simply tell you that um, my first statement is even a little bit of a misnomer. Interest rates themselves honestly probably never change. They're fixed. You can get from 3% to 5% today, any old interest rate. And the rates themselves are the same they were in 1980. They're, the rates are there. The difference is, is what does it cost you to get every one of those rates? And that cost is, I think, the part of the transaction that's been so ignored as long as the banks have been controlling all this stuff because loans are so profitable there's no disclosure requirements to say how much profit is made on an individual loan. And folks, the profit is derived directly from the rate. So I argue that the rates are always the same. It's the cost that's changed. And that's where we talk about loans that have no points. You don't pay anything to get that rate. It's considered the par rate. Um, and that is different everywhere. They set their profit margin. What might be par at one company today could be four and a half at another be four and three eighths. Um, and then find another company where, um, their par price is five. So as the client, that's kind of the, the tricky part is understanding that. And, um, given that, so, and then just real quick to complete the topic, you can either pay points to get a lower rate. Or if you're trying to finance your, um, you know, you need your closing costs paid for without just rolling them into your loan. One option that always exists is to take a higher rate whereby you'll receive some closing cost credit, kind of negative points, if you want to put it that way, that offsets the actual cost in the transaction. And, and you can, that's how you can get a lower or no cost loan. The, uh, the way that that works, that relationship, those credits and points that's what moves every day and they move on a given loan they can move from hundreds to thousands of dollars and so if your points are growing then usually what you'll do is choose a higher interest rate to try to be lowering the points on it that's where the market's moving and and i mean to tell you on thursday morning when it just initial jobless claims come out if they're really good 
we'll see reprices for the better where everybody's closing costs are going down and sometimes they only dip for half an hour after a headline or something. So if we're paying really close attention, we can get that better deal for our client. Likewise, if somebody's in transaction, um, maybe they've applied but not yet locked and um, suddenly we hear that the jobs report created 300,000 jobs in the month or we know that's coming because on Thursday, we get private payroll numbers that kind of indicate what we're going to learn on the Friday job report. Um, most loan officers, they don't care when they leave on Thursday and come in on Friday. We're watching to see what's upcoming, what's going to change it. Is it going to be better or worse? And trying to minimize the risk in the transaction. Yeah. And not everyone does that. And not everyone has always had to do that. It Hmm. I, I love hearing stories about our industry from people who've been in it a lot longer than you and I. Um, last week, I, I got to have lunch with some some folks who've been in the mortgage industry for 25, 30 years. And they were they were telling me how much technology has really changed this industry and how we have to pay attention to this extreme level of detail to all these different data points that come out. You didn't have to do that before because rate sheets used to be mailed to mortgage broker offices once a month or once a week and and those were the rates for that week now it's not like that you see the rate sheet first thing in the morning at 8 a.m you see, you know if there's some major na news you're going to have a reprice once or twice during the day yeah. it didn't used to be like that the rates well, the other used thing to last. too that you got to remember though and this kind of plays into why our company structured the way it is is back in the old day there was less lenders there wasn't as many companies around, so there wasn't as much competition. They could give you a range that they're willing to trade in and mail you this rate sheet. Today, there's a lot of banks that we can do business with, and they know that. They recognize each other. A lot of them monitor each other's pricing, um, and they'll compete against one another to try to be in a tight range um, and offer those lowest rates. And then, you know, for guys like us, we want to pair those really low rates with that really good service. And so those companies sort of stand out in the crowd. Um, and because of that, it you need to know they're working in such thin margins um, on this side of the game, and they're updating it so regularly because the margins are so thin and all that technology and stuff. If you want to play in this world today, you better hunker down and learn it or else be really good at breaking bad news. You know, that's the other option. And there's a lot of loan officers around that don't pay that much attention. They just don't know. They don't care. You could ask them about the unemployment report and they'll say, ah, I think it's about six. How many jobs were created in July? <laughs> Who knows? Not enough. <laughs> My cousin still doesn't have a job. Those. That's not how we run our shop, man. You want to sit down and talk about... Like go through our office and talk to somebody about, you know, they'll walk through the door and turn around and look at the ticker and go, wow, the 10 years down to 2.3, you know, how are the mortgage backed securities trading? Let's get down in the chair and figure out, you know, what's up this morning. That's that level of care and concern. And I'll argue that we care that much about it also because those margins are so tight. Um, everybody wants to win the business. Everybody wants to know that they confidently are offering up the lowest interest rates and fees on the block. Uh, and we got to watch this stuff really close. So doing this show both builds accountability with the public, hopefully helping people avoid some pitfalls and problems, but at the same time, um, 
piece of accountability and an opportunity to find another outlet for all the data collection and monitoring that we do all week long. Um, and it's fun. I like it. What else would you do on a Saturday morning? <laughs> Sleep in. Sleep in a little bit, huh? Um, so I, I brought, just to kind of change gears from the economic thing real quick, which I'm going to come back to, I know um, there's housing stuff, but there was a guideline change this week that uh, I thought was kind of an interesting one. Um, when you've had a short sale or a foreclosure or a bankruptcy, these things get reported onto your credit, obviously, and it affects when you can qualify for financing again. And the different loan programs and different lenders all have kind of different criteria for how and where you can qualify. Um, the bankruptcy foreclosure part of this is being looked at a lot lately by Fannie Mae. Um, they came up with a... So here's how the guidelines really read, by the way. Um, over the last few years, this is kind of the starting point. If you go bankrupt when you own a house and you're including that debt in your bankruptcy, you just need to be absolved of all of it. Um, the bankruptcy removes you of the, the financial burden and legal responsibility of that property to a degree. Bankruptcy, even though it discharges the debt, it does not change the title of your home back to the lender that you know has the loan on your property. And people didn't really realize that. So nobody really knew what to do about it. They just kind of had their bankruptcy and then figure one day, whoever it is that does own the house now that I'm not paying is going to come and tell me that it's time to go. And so much so, um, they sort of hoped that was happening, obviously later than sooner because the um, they weren't paying any rent. And usually when the real estate agent came to tell them they needed to sell this house and move because they didn't own it anymore, um, they would be offered what's called cash for keys, several thousand bucks. Well, here's the rub. You do your bankruptcy, that does not turn the property back over to the bank. A year, two years, sometimes as many as three years later, the bank finally gets around to doing that um, the actual foreclosure action, the trustee sale, where the property is turned back over to the lender. So you have this issue where you're three, down, three years down the road, and so you're thinking, hey, three years is about as much time as you need to get a new mortgage, and you come on in, and we go, no. The bankruptcy is not the same as the foreclosure, and the foreclosure has just happened now because you let it go so far. Um, now... So the mortgage industry has been grappling, you know, kind of grappling. How do you deal with that? What do you like the, the court ordered that these people were no longer responsible for the property yet. Now they're being precluded years later from buying again. Um, and so now they're the guidelines are being revisited there in Fannie Mae. They recently updated the guidelines to say that if that property was included in this bankruptcy. And when I say recently, I'm talking last like week. If that property was included in that bankruptcy and you can prove it, then you follow the bankruptcy seasoning guidelines, which are four years, not the foreclosure seasoning guidelines, which are seven. So in this sense, you're sort of opening up this the net a little bit bigger for to more people. And you know, the reason I wanted to share this is that there's a lot of people that that 
um, I've kind of missed a piece is that in between, if you, if you got, if you wanted to buy a house, you could use FHA, you couldn't get a conventional loan, but you could use FHA, have really expensive mortgage insurance, not a very good loan. It's pretty frustrating for you all along. And really you're thinking you need seven years. Um, now all of those people that experience that bankruptcy foreclosure and have an FHA loan can get a conventional loan. So <clears throat> let me just to summarize what I'm hearing. Fannie Mae says, hey, Mr. Homeowner, if you decided not to pay your mortgage, you can't get a new loan from us for seven years. But if you decided not to pay your mortgage and all of your credit card debt and auto <laughs> loans, you can get a loan in four years, just four years. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, I see your point. <laughs> I see your point. But but I'll tell you something. And and this is this is really actually true. <clears throat> People that have really bad credit because they're over a barrel. I mean, let's just say you've got medical bills. By the way, you have to qualify for a bankruptcy. You don't just get to be a flake. Right. You, they have to evaluate your situation and say you're a mess and you have no chance at surviving this. Um. But yeah, the the bankruptcy thing is, here's the deal. From a creditor standpoint, you're only allowed to do bankruptcy federal. That's federal. Bankruptcy happens um, once every six years, I think. So you can come in today and I can do a house with you. You've got an 800 credit score. If things get tough for you, you can go bankrupt on me tomorrow. And and literally, there's nothing I have recourse-wise coming after you if you go bankrupt. I'm done as a creditor. However, if you show up to me and you were bankrupt two years ago, I'm guaranteed that you can't do this again for four more years. I hope that you learned your lesson. But if you go defunct on me, you have no protection from the law. I can come after you and garnish your wages, seize your assets, um, lean anything that has value. Um, the rules are way in the creditor's favor for somebody that has already exhausted that get out of jail free of bankruptcy. That's one of the things I think is playing into this is creditors know that once you play that card, you're going to have to make a pretty straight run after that for a while. Um, and at the same time, too, the other thing, because you have to qualify for a bankruptcy, you don't just get to go get a lawyer and get one. Um, in, in going through that process, it's, I think it's well vetted that you didn't do a strategic foreclosure. You just didn't flake out. The courts actually sat down, looked at everything, and agreed that you were hosed, and this was the only way out. Um, there was a lot of strategic foreclosures that happened um, over the last five years. There was a lot of people that could afford it, didn't really lose their job, but just kind of said, this place is worth half what I paid for it. My buddy said he stopped paying his mortgage and all of a sudden they started giving him everything for free. So I stopped paying mine. And when you know it, you know, I collected the rents or whatever. I lived rent free for a year and then let the thing go. Who needs credit anyway? I ran across all kinds of that going on for the last few years here. So little bit of a difference there. But so on that guideline, kind of going back full circle, though, if you have an FHA loan that you got because you had to because of that guideline, this could be the time now to come on in and get a conventional loan. Even if you don't have the equity, conventional loans and mortgage insurance is less than half usually of the FHA loan. 
So you can save a lot of money there. Um, there's a, another piece though, about that same foreclosure. Um, if you don't have the bankruptcy and your your foreclosure happened and your second went into some kind of, um, uh, what's it called? Like charge off or, you know, basically it didn't fully get squared away and no one really did anything about it. And it just sort of like tough luck for the lender. This is making it pretty clear that those guys are going to have to wait out the full seven years. And so, yeah, that is funny that you put it that way though. <laughs> if you didn't pay your mortgage altogether, you're in a bad spot. Seven years, your problem. If you manage to not pay all your stuff and go fully bankrupt, it's only four. Touche. All right, guys, quarter to 10 here. So we're going to go ahead and take our second commercial break of the hour. Hey, if you guys have questions, want to weigh in on the conversation, do it. I know the calls were slow this morning to Motor Mouse too, so we won't take it personal. But uh, we have a lot more fun when you call and ask questions or share comments. So boost my fun level by calling us at 543-8830. We'll be back in a minute with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you refinance your home or investment property. Lower your rate, shorten your loan term, or get out of your mortgage insurance. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Central Coast, Central Coast Lending. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Huh. 
All right, everybody, welcome back. Thanks much for being with us. Thanks for the track, Jim. I'm looking for some radio happy phone calls. I change it up a little bit. Yeah, we need some happy phone calls. 543-8830. So we got a phone call during the break from a gentleman that didn't want to go on the air, but he had a question that, um, again, just moving in this time slot reminds me that we're not with our regular listenership. I mean, I hope they moved with us, but I think we got some new listeners that haven't been listening for years on end. Mm -hmm. So I love going back over all some of these things that we take for granted that kind of is common DNA amongst us. Um, but check it out. He His question is about how does uh, somebody benefit from a short sale versus a foreclosure? And he, he didn't want to go on the air to answer the question. Um, so I hope that I get it from the right angle. When you're but, underwater. Yeah, when you're underwater. Yeah, and that, that's more or less the only time that you'd ever face one of those options anyway is that you're in a position where you can't keep the mortgage up and you don't have the equity it takes to just be able to sell in the normal market. Um, but here's the deal. Let's just say the big bad bank that everybody hates and they refuse to, you know, it's trickery when you got the loan in the first place and you didn't even know you had a prepayment penalty and they like made you take this second and actually you were ready to make a down payment, but you they told you not to and just gave you a second and all these things just happened to you and now you're in this house and you want them to do a loan modification because times are tough and they're losing your faxes and they're just being terrible. And now they're marking your mortgage late because you're, you stopped paying and it's going to, you're, you're crash and burns underway. Um, why would you do a short sale? You're going to just do a foreclosure, you know, just stop answering the phone. Don't deal with anyone. Wait all the way until the realtor shows up to offer you that $5,000 check and throw you out. Um, there was a lot of people that had that point of thought they were like yeah you know in fact one of my um least favorite things about our little recession is it got termed as walk away right yeah just such a peaceful action passive turn around and walk away (laughs) never mind those contracts and your credit and you know the ability to get your wages and everything garnished um just just walk away you walked here turn around um but so here's the difference though in a short sale you're in a tight spot and everybody knows it and you need to sell this property. And so what you do is you get a real estate agent, you put your property on the, on the MLS in the open market, you gain offers. And then once you've accepted an offer as the seller that you believe is the highest that you could possibly get in this market for selling this property at that point, that offer is then presented over to the bank to say, Hey, Here's my hardship. I can't afford this. We got a real estate agent. We put this on the market. We got eight offers. And this offer was the best offer. And it's less than what I owe you. And I need you guys to take it um, and, you know, come up with some way to deal with what's left over. Oftentimes what's left over was wiped out and you're given a 1099 for the debt forgiveness. But a couple things about the short sale. Number one your neighbors and friends and family know that you're doing it. And, um, some people don't like that. They don't have a sign in the yard. If they're losing their house, they don't want to have realtors come through and show it and everything. But the banks are in such a better position when the borrower does a short sale, it helps minimize the losses. It helps solve the problem rather than just 
throwing it all the way back on the bank's lap saying, hey, when you get around to it, here's another one for you to sell. Everybody's like being involved and helping wade through it. And it was known years ago when all of this mess started, Fannie and Freddie, before they even said what it was going to get you, they said borrowers that participate in the short sale process will be granted some leniency and those who don't will not. So where does the dust settle today? If you had a short sale in the last couple of years, um, is 24 months later for a conventional Fannie Mae loan, if you have 20% down, you can get a new loan 24 months later. If you have only 10% down, you got to wait 36 months. And then if you don't have that 10% um, down, the normal down payments will apply after four years if you participated in the short sale. If you threw your hands in the air and just waited for the bank to come take it and throw you out, seven years. So that um, is demonstration of how they would prefer you handle it. Um, you know, I kind of like the, the short sale gig because that person's choosing to help solve the problem a little bit. They aren't able to pay the bills and take care of the whole thing the best they could. But instead of just making it somebody else's issue, they figured out how to unload it for the bank and and kind of help see the way through the process. Yeah, they're taking responsibility. I mean, short of making the payment every month, which is what the bank would ultimately want them to do, they're, they're at least demonstrating some desire to remedy the situation or participate in this solution. The property doesn't sit vacant and become an eyesore in the neighborhood, dragging down values further, doesn't get, you know looted or whatever could happen. I was going to say the same vacant. thing is that, well, not only that, but like the, when people went through foreclosures, awfully they take everything that's not bolted down. And then often some of the stuff that is yeah. taking out some of the sinks or um, taking the appliances, taking countertops in some bizarre ways. I saw some foreclosures where people just out of spite punched holes in all the walls and took all the doors and, you know, yanked all the wires out of the walls and stuff. See in the short sale, the seller of the property that's losing the home, he's interested in minimizing the bank's loss. So he makes sure that it's as intact as it can be. And, um, and, and the banks reward that because they like that better than that option of, yeah, letting it go vacant or having somebody kick holes in all the walls and really leave them hanging. So that's why uh, doing a short sale has been more rewarded. And if you're facing one, you know, as Dan brought up early in the show, there's still people with delinquent loans or negative equity and not able to refi. If you're still staring down the barrel of a foreclosure or a short sale, do everything you can to do a short sale. That's really where that's where the rubber meets the road. You're in a way better spot, both legally going through it and what the bank can do after it, but also just when you're reestablishing your credit and coming back out for another another whack at financing, a lot more leniency granted if you were part of the solution instead of just totally the problem. Um, all right, so we're, dang, there's only five minutes left in this hour. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of this housing stuff because there was a few housing stats this week and we're about to do a whole hour on housing. So let's see if we can jam a couple of these parts in here real quick. First of all, um, near and dear to my heart, housing starts and building permits came out last week and housing starts took a jump to um, almost 
16%. Um, that's the highest level in eight months. So that's great news to see actual housing starts. Permits are fun to watch. Are people well-intentioned to build? Um, not everybody that pulls a permit builds right away. These ones are actually broken ground. Very nice to see that picking up. Building permits likewise increased 8.1%. Um, based on the permits, we're talking a 1.05 million pace for new construction, which would mark um, the fastest rate for single-family dwelling since November. Um, so I think that's really good news. It's not a surprise then to see that um, builder sentiment is high. Um, no wonder they're happy. There's construction happening. Um, construction is up 21.7% over a year ago. Um, and it's just looking like things are getting a little bit better. And this time too, there was a decent amount of growth in single family, not just multifamily, the apartments and condos that generally are kind of um, the dominant big brother in some of these numbers. So it's just good to see that. And as a result, we see that the home builder sentiment is growing as well. There was a little bit of local data that I I'd like to share because going into our next hour, I think it'll be an important baseline of information for us. Um, in July, we learned that in San Luis Obispo County, sales were down, as seems to be the trend over the last several months. Um, number of units sold is down 17.6%. The median home price, however, was up about 8.2% year over year. The, for July 2014, the median home price in Slow County, $451,000. That ain't bad. It's a, it's, it's a healthy number. Yeah. <laughs> I brought um, a little bit of data here on existing home sales to nationally for the month of July were plus 2.4%. Existing home sales increased. That's and that actually is a... It's bucking uh, the trend lately. It's bucking the trend for the first time in a while. Um, still down 4.3% year over year. But what it means is that we're going to... This is an indicator that if this trend continues, what it is is a, it's an increase on the supply side. So maybe coming back to that equilibrium a little bit. Um, and also here, let's see. The other part of this is... Oh, don't tell me there's only a minute. I, I was going to say, say, look about one year ago. That's right when we were starting to feel the impacts of that one point rise right. in interest rates. That's when things started to slow down a little bit. That's when the, the wind got taken out of the housing sale. So the median home price for all housing types in July nationally was 222.9, which is 4.9% year over year higher. 29th consecutive month of year over year price gains. That's pretty good. So nationally, what was the median home price? 222.9. 222.9. So we're about double. San Luis Obispo County median home price is about double the national median home. That's right. And the total inventory at the end of July rose 3.5% to 2.37 million homes for sale, which is a five and a half month inventory. That's pretty good. All right, guys, we're going to get out of here for the top of the hour break. We'll be back in just a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. Stick with us. We can't wait to do the next hour.
All right, guys, welcome. You getting the you getting me bumping over here, man? Something about ACDC, you just can't sit still. I know it's crazy, isn't it? And as money talks, it's appropriate for the show. Yeah. And yeah. so here we go. We gotta we gotta get the energy level up and make this exciting. Um, I did. I told Dan yesterday it was my goal during this segment um, to just let Dan just really run with this. I mean, <laughs> I I watched the way that these two interacted the other day at our little warm up meeting, and I'm just sure it's... Dan gets a word in edgewise. Oh man! Every cool. now and then, usually, yeah, I I just catch Jason off guard and then I can talk. <laughs> okay. All right, away we go. Hey, this is the second hour of Mortgage Matters. Um, thanks for sticking with us. If you're just tuning in, one more reminder. We're on from 9 to 11 now. Um, just started this month, so you haven't missed uh, too much if, if you're just now figuring out that we've shifted time slots. But today, for our second hour, we're joined by Lenny Grant. He is a principal of RRM Design Group locally and involved in more um, extracurricular activities than, than anyone that I've met in in recent history here so i just want to welcome you to the show lenny thanks for taking time out of your saturday to join us um and uh i just wanted to give you a little opportunity to introduce yourself to the listeners i know this is your first time on radio mm -hmm. um so there's you know just a couple hundred thousand people out there <laughs> who want to get to know you no don't pressure be, don't be nervous no pressure <laughs> So you're um, you're born and raised in San Luis Obispo, right? Well, I was, I was born in Redondo Beach, but oh, okay. but uh, yeah, my parents moved here when I was a year old, and been here ever since. San Luis High and Cuesta and Cal Poly. So yeah, excellent. So uh, what'd your parents do, and uh, how come they moved up here? Uh, my dad was a police officer uh, at San Luis uh, Police Department um, for about 20 years until he became chief up in Northern California. My mom owned a little uh, retail kitchen shop uh, downtown for probably about 20 years and uh, was in, in the retail industry. So, uh, you know, my dad was pretty heavy in politics and mom was just a great mom. So. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And so um, then from there, where'd you study? What'd you study? Where'd yeah. life start pulling you? Yeah, well, I, I was very good at math and art growing up, so I kind of figured out pretty early I wanted to be an architect, but uh, my dad uh, tried to talk me into going to accounting, oh. and I took an accounting class and said, no way, could not do this for the rest of my life, and it was that or professional golf, and I uh, didn't have the, the nerves to play golf, so uh, anyways, I, I, I you know, went back to architecture and loved it and spent, it's worked out great. Yeah. Where'd you study architecture? Uh, yeah. Here at uh, Cal Poly. Did you? Yeah. I took a lot of art classes. Old at building Quest, five but... down there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I was a city and regional planning major. In fact, we had right. to go through enough architecture. Usually if I was with somebody that couldn't call me on it, I'd say it's almost third year architecture. <laughs> um, it's close though. And I ended up I grew up loving to draw too, yeah. and actually was pretty good at it. And then um, all the like rendering and shading and these like hundred dollar marker sets that I had <laughs> to have, and these all nighters I spent coloring plans. Mm -hmm. um, I decided that I did not like architecture anymore. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I was happy to move on from that. So all right, we have three Cal Poly alums in here. Um, I, f I think I was talking to another guy this week that told me his story too, and I, I'm wanting to make sure that I have him right. So after after Cal Poly Architecture, then what? 
Yeah. Um, so after that, you know, I graduated in 91 and it was pretty bad. I don't know if you guys remember back then, but it was hard to get a job. Uh, so you kind of just floated around from firm to firm for three months, uh, wherever, whoever got a big project and you, everybody kind of floated over there and worked for a while. Uh, finally started kind of coming out of that in 94, 95, went up to the Bay area for a year and worked in a housing firm. I did a lot of production housing, really kind of cut my teeth there. Came back working for a developer, got my license in '97, and then started up a company called LGA in Pismo Beach, where we did, you know, probably about 70% production housing, luxury housing, and some affordable, um, and then you know a little bit of commercial office. Um, did do did well. We we built up to 24 people. Had a great time. Kind of family run practice, and uh, somewhere there um, during uh, before the recession, pro- probably. Uh, uh, I knew this guy, Eric Justison, who's the CEO of RRM Design Group. I've known him for a long time, and he was really, they, they, they have a statewide practice where I am now. Uh, they wanted to kind of get back to the roots of San Luis Obispo and start doing it in the local practice again. So he tried to talk me into coming over. Initially, I just didn't understand the benefit of it, uh, but recession hit hard, as we all know, crushed a lot of people. And at that time, to consolidate, it made a lot of sense to, to merge practices. Uh, and, and it's worked out great. It's been about three and a half years since we moved our employees over. And uh, we've just been going gangbusters, having a great time and making an impact here. And, you know, like you guys said, came kind of a volunteer-aholic <laughs> as a principal, you know, when you're in charge of bringing all the projects in. You really just got to get to know everybody in the community. Uh, it's kind of in my DNA anyway. Get out and do your networking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when we were pulling away from that meeting the other day, um, just – bringing everybody up to speed as we were trying to get to know Lenny a little bit. We were talking about all the things that he's done and I think it's seven boards that you sit on. Um, and it struck me that a a lot of which were nonprofits, um, and, um, Hey, they're, they're relatively self-serving though. What you're doing is, I mean, it's, it's things that you care about, but also will be business for you. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I just, I like to throw that out there right away is that, um, you're in a for-profit business. And um, what I found particularly refreshing about the conversation that we had is that today we're having you on the show and an opportunity to kind of have a little bit of a platform to share about um, what's driving you. And it's very nice that what you're passionate about is also what you do for a living, but yeah. you get these opportunities to serve and help and kind of craft a plan that I really think is steering um, where housing's going in this city, if not mm-hmm. the whole county. Um, and I love that. Uh, it's, I, I just know, um, I, we talk about our industry and I'll say it almost seems in the mortgage world, it's almost incestuous. It becomes mm-hmm. a very small group of people that really do know one another and everyone's reputation really carries something with them. And whether, it's somebody that you're working with or somebody that's your direct competition, um, knowing all of that stuff and the way that it all plays out. And I know that that transcends industry, industry lines. That's how it is for you guys. Yeah. Knowing these people, um, whether it's somebody that you're competing with for project dollars or a contract or working together to affect a change down at the city or county, that's awesome to be involved in the shaping of that. And, and really what you're... What we want to talk today about is the the workforce housing initiative yeah. and um, what that means, 
where it's been um, and where it's going. And, and you know, so I, I know I said this the other day, but I'd love for you to, um, as we venture into this topic of workforce, workforce housing, tell me a little bit about if you got to paint the broad brush strokes here in housing, what would it look like? Yeah. What what in that utopia, what are we missing here that's going to make the quality of life, economy, functionality and yeah. everything about San Luis just that much better? What do we need to do in terms of housing? Yeah. Okay. So the, I guess I, I neglected to mention earlier when we we're talking about becoming an architect that, you know, it's kind of probably in like junior high or, you know, somewhere in there is when I, I met an architect, Steve Iglesias. He's a great guy. I've known him for a long time. Good friends with his son, Mark uh, Elterman. And, uh, you know, it was in there. I was thinking golf, accounting, architecture, whatever. And I, the thing that kind of drug me in with architecture was that I, I could see there was a social purpose that I could serve while making a living. Yeah. And, you know, I started thinking about housing. A lot of people said, don't do housing, do big commercial buildings or whatever. And I thought, well, man, people need housing, need shelter. It was something that kind of grabbed in, inside my core that said, hey, I can do this. And and uh, and so I really got to love that. And, you know, you see meet homeless people, stuff like that, or people that are just struggling or me growing up here and seeing housing prices skyrocket when I was in junior high and high school and started being able to count, you know, both the husband and wife's income, you know, and there's tax, you know, things, laws that change and start seeing housing just skyrocket. And, you know, I started feeling that there was something wrong with that. There's something that was going to cause a negative impact, you know, locally, whether it's jobs or whatever. And I, I don't remember when I figured that out, probably in college or something like that. And then we saw it happen, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, people, people just aren't into that. You know, people move here or been here a long time. They see, housing as as growth and an environmental impact and you know crime and and crowds i mean they just see everything negative about housing and i think it's shelter it's it's keeping you warm it's a place for family to have thanksgiving it's a place to go home at night after you worked all day it's you know housing to me is it's it's a core not the need. george carlin where you keep your stuff right <laughs> it, it's a it's a it's a core need everybody has and, right. and here it's seen as an environmental impact and so we, we really a big part of this effort is to try to change attitudes and values about housing. And I'm starting to see people like Adam Hill and Karen Ray and, you know, both left and right embrace housing as something that's necessary. And the, the efforts with the Economic Vitality Corporation locally and our, you know, building design cluster part of the economics, uh, you know, program here, uh, that, that message is, is taking root. Right, right now, and it, and it's particularly, I, I figured I need something to grab onto to really get this thing moving. And uh, you know, we were having some brainstorming discussions a couple years ago, and we realized, you know what, the core message is like, you know, when Clinton was in office, and Car James Carvel said, you know, it's economy stupid, you know, or whatever he said. I was thinking that was what he said, but I started thinking about, you know, housing prices go up. We still have people retiring and moving here. We still have the poor who can't afford to get out of here and sharing houses, but it's the middle class that's got the squeeze. And, you know, I'm not, not trying to take a political message here necessarily, but that's where you start seeing, okay, you know, last year we had a negative 200 person decrease in our county population, I think in part due to the recession. And now we're seeing a lot of housing come. I think we'll see 
us go back. I know to 200 our, people that moved to Texas in the last are, year. You know all of them that moved. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so you know, middle class is the managers at Mind Body and you know all these great growing companies, and you, and they they're jumping on on the on this discussion as well, saying, yeah, we are having a hard time attracting the great talent from universities. It's not about just housing employees. It's about attracting talent. Yeah. You know, it's about attracting great, talented designers and engineers. And, you know, because they got to compete internationally, you know. And so we're really trying to, that's our niche we're trying to create. I'm still a big advocate and, and bleeder on uh, affordable housing, and I'll always stay active with that. But that's that middle part. And talking about a vision, you know, we still want the clean water, the beautiful trails, you know, the beautiful vistas, uh, you know, and, and clean drain water and all that stuff. But the way I the way I see it is, if you don't have a healthy economy, you're not going to have a beautiful environment because to build that trail, you know, you need people volunteering, you need to get grants to buy open space. Without a healthy economy, you won't have a healthy environment. Right. And you're not going to have the social safety net, you know, to take care of grandma. We so, learned in school that. Um automobiles are a pretty good pollutant to the environment. <laughs> and um, contrary to what most people believe, it's not just the emissions that are problematic, that in fact, most of the pollution that comes from automobiles is from particulate matter off of tires and brakes and other drippings mm -hmm. and stuff that actually is coming off of the car. Um, in San Luis, to get its... Um, you know, kind of snobby, no growth message across has forced the workforce of its, um, all the workforce of San Luis lives in the bedroom communities. And it's almost, it's such a way of life that people don't even realize that it's detrimental and has these negative effects. But, you know, you work in San Luis, live in Osos, work in San Luis, live in Atascadero, work in San Luis, live in Oceano, all of these things. And, um, we pay for it in more ways than just getting to have our our pretty open space or whatever. Yeah. There, there's no doubt to that. Um, so that workforce housing, those people that work here to be, hey, what a novel idea. Let's provide them a, an affordable um, living option here. How, how do you get there? Okay, yeah. So that's a great question. And, you know, through this, through the EVC, effort working with the also with the workforce housing coalition with the home builders association uh and other groups like that you know we uh, uh, just brad breckwald and i brad is a uh the ceo over at wallace group which is a engineering civil engineering company we were uh you know volunteering with this uh you know evc uh strategy project uh it was probably about uh, three four years ago we came up with this idea of and meeting with the other uh, participants of the EVC project, people from technology and, and hospitality and other industries, we were asking them the question, you know, what, what are, what's the biggest issue for you guys? And most, a lot of them said housing is a huge issue for us, et cetera. So we said, well, you know, what can we do as a building design group to help out you guys in specialized manufacturing technology? And, and uh, you know, I said, well, obviously, if you could help us, you know, get through some of the policy and how we get building permits faster, how you could house our people, et cetera. That'd be great. So first thing we did was, well, how do we start this process? What the heck do we do? And I was trained as an architect to basically first thing you do, you don't start drawing a building. You have to ask lots of questions, do research, find out what people need. So we thought first thing we do is need, we need to research what the local employees, you know, that participate in the EVC, you know, what do they need in housing? Because if, if the planners had their way at the cities and counties, we'd build two, three and four story condominium projects downtown 
you know, is that, but is that something that's acceptable or, or desirable from local workforce? Uh, and so we, we came up with a, you know, uh, a couple of dozen questions uh, and asked the uh, other employers within the EVC to allow their employees to have 15 minutes to take the survey. And we, we got some pretty remarkable stuff back. We, we took the survey, so we, then we got the information. It took us about a year to kind of gather it all, and there were some concerns that it was a political thing, and so we had to make sure that it, it didn't offend you know, the vast majority of, of both the Republican and Democratic parties. And, uh, and then we went on a road show. So we just, you know, people started asking us to show, share this information, whether it was the Board of Realtors uh, or it was the, the uh, Chamber of Commerce Economic Development Committee, et cetera. There was about six, seven groups we went to. We went to the Board of Realtors, shared this information. They said, you know, what can we do to help you guys? And uh, they, they funded a, a summit, so we had a workforce housing summit, invited a bunch of planners, um, you know, developers, and, and people in the industry. And it was a great discussion because what we kind of figured out was there's a lot of people that are trying to help on this workforce initiative, but they're all kind of going in different directions. So and we figured if we aligned all these stakeholders and went in a direction, we could probably get a lot done, um, especially in the policy areas and creating workforce uh, housing policies that will help uh, incentivize developers to build smaller um, because basically at this point, you know, th what they're going to build is what they know can sell, which is a three-bed, two-bath, you know, 1,800-foot house on a 5,000-square-foot lot that's single-story, and, and where the heck is the land to do that? And, you know, so we figured out, well, we need to find ways to work with local planners to make an incentivized system. So the county was, was great. They took a leadership role, and they voted 5-0 a couple months ago to create a whole set of new policies based on feedback from, you know, everybody in the group, including developers, stuff like reducing homeowners association requirements, uh, getting rid of some of the, the ways that we traditionally count density, uh, and, and really trying to make a product that reflects the survey that people want and it's not necessarily, you know, three stories of condos. It, it may be, you know, a detached residence, a small detached residence on a small lot with a secondary unit, you know, that creates sort of apartment stock. Because we don't have apartment builders here, really. I mean, uh, so we need to create, you know, ways of building small that looks like our traditional, you know, uh, neighborhoods, but really gets much more uh, intense in terms of, of you know, or, or clever in terms of how can we get more housing done. So... This has been a fun effort, and we're in the process of, of moving this forward. We're getting some traction with local planners and getting participation with developers. And, and uh, we're actually coming up on an uh, employer-developer conference where we're putting developers, you know, building developers, as well as employers in the same room to get them talking about what do their employees need more specifically. So the thought is if developers start seeing that people are – you know, are, would be excited about living in a 1,200-foot home, you know, on a small lot with an apartment, then maybe the developers will start building that stuff. I'll tell you know. what, you don't even need to be excited about it. Some close personal friends of ours just bought a house in San Luis because their workforce and um, a decent combined wage for the two, best they could afford was a 1,100-square-foot, three-bedroom, one-bath joint over here off Ocean, Ocean Air for over half a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Um, and you know what? That's that was what was available. <laughs> so wouldn't it be great if there was more of that home? That, <laughs> and they had to buy that site unseen to get yeah, that at yeah. that deal. Yeah, competition. Yeah. For it, right? So it would be great if that kind of housing stock was available so much so that you didn't have to pay such a premium to get it. Exactly. I mean, you got to be making a over 120 grand a year combined to be buying a house like that, and um, it just makes it tough. Hey, it's a it's a ten twenty six right now. I wanted to say eleven twenty six because I'm on my I'm on my old sketch here. Um, we do have the rest of the hour here with you. Um, we're joined by Lenny. Thrilled to have you on the show and be talking about the housing um, thing here. I I there's so much left to talk about. I can't wait to get to it. Let's do this break and dive back in. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk nine twenty. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you buy your next home. We promise to close on time, on budget, with no surprises. Give Central Coast Lending a call today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. good tunes today yeah thank you jim, jim takes some great pleasure in running the board here uh early in the show within the first few minutes i said it's my tomorrow's my wife's birthday uh, and um yeah then at one of the breaks jim played the the um, say it's your birthday song mm -hmm. 
And then Farrah Williams Happy, which I got a compliment from Bobby. Yeah. Dan's better half. She's like, she said in seven years, it's the first time you played a song from this decade. <laughs> <laughs> well, you so, know, it's hard. I mean, to his defense, this is the songs that are hard. in the thing that you don't have to pay right. royalties right. on. I know this isn't your library of music. No, it's, it's what not, you're not provided here. Uh, pink houses, though. You're talking about housing. There you go. All the printing pink houses for everybody. We are talking about housing. We're talking about workforce housing specifically. Um, we're here with Lenny Grant. He's principal at RRM Design. He's also involved in a lot of groups. One of them, one of the big gr groups that you're involved in is the Economic Vitality Corporation. And specifically, it's the Build and Design Cluster. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. And so... Um, in September of last year, your your board um, did a survey that we talked briefly about, and one of the most compelling statistics out of this survey um, that I, I really want to share here is that employers and employees alike is 80, 83% of employers and 88% of employees said that it is somewhat or very difficult to find suitable and affordable housing in San Luis Obispo County. And you just got done, Lenny, saying that having a healthy economy is critical to having a healthy community. And how can we have that healthy economy that we desire that, that makes our, that keeps roads paved and, mm -hmm. you know, keeps the functions of the city working if we can't afford to keep people here? Yeah. You know what? It hangs in balance. You know why? Is because there are people that are willing to deal with this to live in one of the most beautiful places around. Sure. So people are taking lower wages. They're making it work, trying to stay and tolerating something that ultimately isn't really great. I, I love to when we start talking about housing and how dire this is. Um, so I, I like to say that um, I have a recent pretty good recollection of what it was for me when I moved here. Um, we, we moved to San Luis, my wife and I, we were already married, going to college, doing the thing, um, usually had a leg up on the other college kids because we were married. Wasn't expected that we'd be partying and raging and doing all the unstable things. We were, you know, probably just perceived as quiet. Um, and I'd have to say that's probably true. I didn't leave any chance though. It was so cutthroat written a house. I had a whole presentation prepared, yeah. cover letter, resume, copy of the credit report, asset statements, um, kind of statement of character on my own behalf. And I would have to go to those places and basically just outshine any other applicant, try to use some charisma to, to find an angle because it was cutthroat. People would say, we're showing the house Saturday at 10 and I get there and there'd be 30 other people there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I laughed, you know, I see some guy, his application's got things scratched out and the corner's bent. There's like a coffee stain on it and he's there in a ball cap with his, you know, three buddies. And I'm like, uh, thank God these are the kind of people as I'm over there with my wife going, hi, sir, we're, you know, anyway, then we got out of Cal Poly, got a job, was working the job, had a lot of promise, um, worked my tail off for a couple of years and then I backed into the numbers and I thought, um, you know, I love this place, but we had a kid at that time and I really got to figure out, I got to start owning a house. I mean, cause for me, I kind of view that when your house is paid off and that part of your life is handled, that's when you can consider retirement. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I don't know when that's going to happen. The jobs that I work don't have pensions and stuff. It's going to be self-funded. I need to be able to buy a house. So 
I came up with a number. Look, the average house in San Luis said, you know, that's what it's going to take. When a boss man said, love working here. It's nothing personal. I know it's all about mm -hmm. the profit and loss, but in my household, this is what the profit needs to be if I'm going to stay working here. And um, that boss was very vocal about how hard it was both to recruit and retain quality employees because of the housing crunch. Um, so much so, half of the staff that I managed were contract underwriters that were here from out of the area staying in hotels to come and work for us. Um, and I knew what they made. More importantly, I knew that what we paid their hotel costs to have them here it could have I could have been owning a house, but there wasn't in the budget because there was all these other expenses. Yeah. So anyway, very frustrating and decidedly unhealthy for everyone involved. Uh, very expensive, leaving little hope and people turned down coming here because housing is so cutthroat. Um, so my experience is not unusual. As Dan just shared, the stats from the survey show that um, what is that? Nearly 90 percent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. It's kind of hard to figure out, you know, you really start scratching your head a lot. Like, well, what is important? You know, should we have 1% growth? Is that healthy? 2%? You know, obviously, we get at much higher levels in Orange County. It's not not good. You get clogged freeways and everything else. I think a 0% population growth is bad. You know, I mean, that's really bad. And there's a lot of reasons why. I've read a lot of articles about it. But yeah, the, the 88% saying it was difficult to find safety and affordable. The 27% that are likely to leave is a huge expense to a company. You know, if you have 100 employees and 27 yeah, of them leave, sure, that's gnarly, a uh, big cost. So that's that's not good for local businesses. And I'm a little more concerned about the retention factor of, of people having to leave after you've trained them or people that grew up here. Did you have something to add? Uh, I just wanted to add that that call you might have heard that ring is the reverse our um, reverse 911 system mm. active. It's uh, just that they are testing it today. I want to remind everybody of that. And also at noon, John Lindsay and the OES um, office wanted to remind us that they are testing the um, sirens for the grown test today at noon and 1230 today. So there's no need to take any action, but we are just reminding people about that. And that was what that call was that um, I didn't put on the air. Thanks. All right. All right. We were talking about what's your favorite color Skittles. <laughs> 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 Thanks for interrupting, Jim. Now I don't even remember what we were saying. <laughs> Sorry about that. We were talking about how hard it is for people to find housing, I think. I know. <laughs> I was just busting him up. But it is. I mean, it's a it's a problem. I mean, as long as I've been here, as long as I've been in the workforce in this county, I've seen so many people come and go. And, and exactly what you're talking about, that cost to recruit, that cost to to train and and develop that employee just to see them go away because they can't afford the lifestyle they want here. It's a major um, expense for for local businesses. And it seems like the the recipe should be perfect for businesses to thrive here with mm -hmm. with a great university in our backyard producing great talented young people um, who could be the future of of these growing companies who are the future <laughs> why aren't they staying here why you know what's the problem i i think two of my friends from college managed to stick around in this community um you know more than 10 years that people, I just watched people fall off. They couldn't hang on for yeah. forever. And, you know, how do we solve that problem? We learned today that yeah. the median home price is 451000 double the national average. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, it was, what does it take to, you guys are mortgage experts, so it's $150,000 to, to, or something like that, and, you know, to afford that with a 20% down payment. So who's got a hundred grand sitting around making $150,000, you know, not your typical worker, but, you know, I, I, I'm more concerned about, you know, my, I'd love to see my kids, you know, stay here, uh, son and daughter, Addison and Bianca, 24, 21, just getting through Cal Poly and Cuesta, math major, supposed to be a great place for millennials to get you know jobs in that in that uh category but how is he going to be able to afford the house that, and i i think it kind of gets down to the core question is how much growth is too much growth what is healthy growth you know and i she's i've been here for i you know i'm 49 i've been 48 years and i've seen kind of a one percent growth uh typically over that long period of time and that's pretty healthy and i think people there's just a lot of fear that you know one that you know how much growth is too much growth, but one percent is healthy. One to two percent is probably good. I I would venture to say, with everything that I know about it, and at one time I was pretty well studied on the topic. Um, it depends. If it's smart growth, I think you could fit a lot more than that. Sure. If it's foolish, sprawling growth without much of a master plan, one percent could probably be a pretty stinky impact. So, but doing it really smart, yeah. and that's what you know. I was sitting here when we were opening discussion you guys are talking about you know what you've been doing and and going look at the way this cat's getting skinned (laughs) historically it's always been you know the guy with the plan walks in slaps him down on the desk and if he's got a good rap in the city they're happy to take his fees and go out there and get her done we went the full other way on that to where yeah you better have a really good idea and even if you do a lot's going to play into this and we're at least going to wear you out and exhaust you before you ever get there and then you guys now have taken this really collaborative approach of getting industry professionals together to figure out what it's going to take to accomplish this mission to start with a plan first study the end user meet their needs and then now, when you go before the the committees that make these decisions, say, "Hey, look how much thought and care and time's been put into this." And look at we we already thought about that. We already turned those stones over. This is what we need to do. You know, this is how we're going to do it, and this is how we know it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of the challenges everybody faces as a planning major is that all the planners are these like utopia guys. You know, it's all about infill development of you know four floors of to 7.1 units per acre or whatever all these yeah all this stuff yeah put it with the dry cleaner and all these things and it's like yeah you know that that's all cool and everything i'll never live there that ain't me that's not my speed um you know i get that that's good for some people and stuff but it was like hey sprawls the problem all of you like gross polluters with your single family homes are destroying california this is what the alternative looks like. And it's like very rare is there like, hey, check it out. You can actually make a mix of both. There's a need for a variety of different housing types. Um, so I see that it's it's getting better and getting smarter like that. Yeah. I keep thinking about like the remembering the field of dreams when he's out in the corn and he hears the if you build it, they will come. Right. This is like if if you wait, you you, they'll keep you from building it, but they're already here. <laughs> <laughs> the people are really already here, I think, because retaining those jobs and keeping these students. And, you know, I think about the same thing with my kids is I really hope they stay. I had to leave yeah. home. There was no opportunity in Big Bear for me. There's not a college there. And the people that stayed, eesh, they're a little worse for wear. Um, 
you kind of like I had to leave. And so I've, I left my support system and my family. And then it's tough having kids here without in-laws or parents to dump the kids on yeah. for a Friday night. That's not, that's not the way the whole thing's supposed to go, but I had to leave for opportunity. And, you know, so part of it's affordability, part of it is just that. But one of those challenges here is what do all of those folks do? And um, so how's this going to end? Are you guys going to get this across the goal line and put a yeah. bunch of work fail- wor- workforce housing into place? Yeah, I, I, I am a little optimist. I am optimistic on that. And uh, at RRM, you know, we're working on several uh, projects locally that, you know, they're not approved yet, obviously, but um, there's there's several specific plans moving forward in the city. Some are in the neighborhood uh, of about 2,500 units coming in that the city is trying to get approved through their loose process, their land use and circulation element update process, and they're working, you know, with some issues out at the airport to try to make that happen. Oh, um, how'd the vote go the other it night? It went good, yeah. The city is slow, just voted 3-0 to, um, <clears throat> you know, to say, hey, you know, our loose is important. We need we need to, to use science in terms of these airport safety zones, but we want to work with the Airport Land Use Commission as much as we can, but we got to get this these projects moving. Um, you know, it's going to take 10, 15 years to build these these units and, and everything else, but yeah, it's happening. You know, we're having an influence with some of the developers, Gary Grossman's building a project here um, that's going to have a lot of small lot product in it uh, and a lot of, you know, from a policy wonk standpoint, R2, R3 zoning is what we're looking at, which is anywhere from probably eight to, you know, 16 units per acre. Um, That is, it's a much higher efficiency use of land with, you know, little parks and everything else. I mean, heck, you, you know, you guys study this, we study it. We want good quality projects with good light air, you know, and everything else and, and, uh, privacy, uh, and, and, you know, good, smart projects. So it is starting to happen. It's great. I was down, um, my f- brothers live down in like Carlsbad, San Marcos area. And I went to this city, they built this city. It's like sprung up and it's kind of like in between Carlsbad and San Marcos where Carlsbad airport road goes, yeah. it used to be all this open space. And I built this place. I think it's called Aliso Viejo. Yeah. But uh, I just like I was thinking about this in San Luis, how cool it would be if just take like um, and I'm going to piss off all the people that want the open space thing real quick here. But let's just take like the Los Osos Valley Road corridor from Foothill, just clear out to Osos. If you took all that land and built yourself like from the ground up a smart functioning place, this is kind of how that Aliso Viejo place was. Um, There was like houses high density, low density, some condos built around some cool streets that you could tell were all laid out for this deal. And then down in the middle, there's like some economic base, like shops and um, offices and these different types of things with lofts above and all this stuff. Um, San Luis should just be progressive and be that smart about putting some growth in, get behind some stuff like that here where we have the room to put it and no, we don't want to grow, but we kind of need to, um, and just grow really smart and be the poster child for if you use your brains and plan (laughs) this thing out from day one, you know, that you could get some quality stuff going on. Yeah. Ironically, it's happening in slow, you know, which, which has seemed to be a no or slow growth area for 20 years, but because over the last 10 years, they've been working on a lot of these specific plans, Margarita area, Orchid area, 
and now a bunch of these, uh, you know, other plants come in, Avila Ranch, uh, San Luis Ranch, and John Madonna's got some stuff going on. There's, you know, it's actually happening here, which is the great part because it's near jobs. It's where these employers are growing. Mind Body's going to a thousand employees and all this kind of stuff. Uh, guys like Andy Mangano are very progressive. The city's been very progressive. It's going to be harder in the outlying areas. But the, the biggest challenge, I wanted to say that as we were talking about Los Osos Valley Road, is infrastructure. I mean, yeah. our roads to get wide the way they need to, uh, to get paved, to get water where we need to. Of course, we're having a massive drought in California. Uh, and, you know, the city's been pretty smart. They've got, I think, seven sources of water in the city. Um, some of the other cities only have two or three, so those areas are, are much harder. So Nepomo's, I think, in a level service three, which is like the worst level, uh, Paso, of course. And Paso's got some water, but get outside of that, and they've got huge problems. Um, so it's ironically, it's happening in slow, where there has been this, this uh, thought process going on for a long time. So I think we, we're now, I think we're, 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 we've got some good possibility for the next maybe five to 10 years, and we need to look beyond that. So there's some really good, good things happening. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here wondering, um, what can somebody do? What could somebody do to aid in the cause? Yeah. Is there volunteers or money? I mean, what's needed to help you guys move along? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think people's values, number one thing is just, you know, uh, having a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of value tweaking, if you will. You know, housing is not bad, you guys. It's, it's actually good for the environment. It's good for our economy. Let's stop thinking about housing, especially next door to us. That's where we have the biggest problems is, you know, we have a project going in. I, I tell you, I've heard at least 90% of the time when I brought a project where people have come out against it, you know, we really support affordable housing. We really support all this kind of housing. Just not right here. Yeah, just not, not in my here. backyard. The NIMBYs. It's just, you know what? You, you got to get over it, you guys. You got to embrace it. It's going to be next to you. It's going to be beautiful, and it's going to raise your property values because it's yeah. going to be more expensive than what you've got. You know, so that's the number one thing is let's stop thinking of housing as a horrible, you know, thing that's bringing a lot of crime. We've got a pretty, pretty low crime rate. What we have is a lot of people living under bridges, and that's unacceptable. You know, mm -hmm. and it's because we're not providing enough housing at those lower levels. And yeah, that's a big part of it. Obviously, there's mental illness and all kinds of other things that cause that to happen. You know, we have a beautiful weather, so people are w better to be homeless here than homeless <laughs> where it's freezing. So I'm not saying it's the answer, but it's not acceptable. Right. So you've been in, in this area longer than Jason and I. Has housing affordability been an issue as long as you can remember? No, I, or was there a time when it was in balance? My, yeah, my parents bought their first house for like $3,000 or something like that, uh, you know, in Laguna Lake area, or maybe it was 10. It was, it was not. It was when, you know, 86 tax code, I think it was, where, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're just, there's all these complex formulas now and, and tax advantages and things. That's when it started going off. I, I remember my, my parents bought a house on Meineke Street um, for 30 grand. Or, or 60 grand and my dad's making 30 grand. It's two times his income. This was back in like in the 70s. Wow. And then that house went from 60 grand to 250 grand in a six year period. And that's when all the tax codes started changing and people started rolling in here. So there was, I remember very specifically, you know, when it went out of control. So it was like that mid to late 80s, it sounds like. Yeah. Because so I, um, uh, I graduated from high school in 83. And so it was, it was about in fifth and sixth grade. Somewhere in that area, so late 70s, early 80s. That's interesting. I have another little piece of this survey that um, that your your group with the EVC did talks. It, it surveyed employers and employees again about what they would f 
what they think is an affordable monthly housing payment, whether it's rent or mortgage. Mm -hmm. And the median number that employees came up with was about $1,500, $1,500 per month. When you're looking to finance a mortgage, that's going to get you about a $250,000 loan. So when we're looking at you know, a median home price in this county of $450,000, it comes back to that problem that we were talking about just a moment ago. Where's the guy making... Uh, you know, 80 to 100 grand a year, where is he coming up with that $200,000 to put down on the median home in this county right. to be able to afford that that $250,000 mortgage that feels affordable and doable every month? And how did you save that when you're paying premium rents? Right. Yeah, I think that that's a key. That's one of those, like, it sounds great, but how do you do it? And uh, working with some other people that are involved in the mortgage industry, like you guys, um, on a down payment assistance program, but a private one. And one of the things that's really key to this whole issue is this is non-subsidized publicly. We're trying to come up with an incentive system for developers, but that it's privately funded. And um, there's some interesting thoughts rolling right now about um, down payment assistance pools that uh, you know capital come in privately that you know employers can tap into to help their key employees um, with down payment assistance and. It seems like, you know, mortgage people I've talked to think that that's a possibility, that there's investors out there that'd be willing to invest in that. And it's kind of a key for the employer to get involved and help their employees. Uh, and then it, you know, provides a kind of more permanent affordability mm -hmm. issue, but not, not from a public, uh, you know, standpoint. I really like this idea. Um, there are down payment assistance programs, although a lot of those funds get tapped. Wait, wait, ask me if I do them. Do you do them? Uh, they never have any money. Yeah. There are some there are some down payment assistance programs no, that, not. that have money. There's a Cal HFA yeah, is home a fund. good one. Right. There there's a couple, but there they're are a lot tricky, of programs that are out of money and, and they don't have enough money and they're not well done. So and they're very restrictive. So so those are hard to qualify for sometimes. And then there's loans today allow for employers to gift down payment monies to mm. key employees. That's allowable. Mm -hmm. But not every employer has you know 20 30 50 what you know whatever right. that dollar amount just to give an employee as key as they are you know a, we don't a, have that. a business that's you know a 10-man shop doesn't have that much cash sitting around to hand out to key employees but what they might be able to do is have some kind of revolving fund mm -hmm. that assists the the employee in in putting that down payment down and i love that idea yeah. it it basically is taking two existing options out there and combining them mm -hmm. um to to just be a better option for for someone to afford a home it's it's better for the employer it's not tapping out their resources and it's great for the employee to be able to get their foot in the door to owning a home yeah i, I really like that idea and um i hope that there's some some traction yeah. that you guys can get with that yeah it, it seems like we've talked to a number of employers uh, bill borgs miller at aci i've talked to, of course to eric uh in our office and um, you know, Brad Breckwell, a lot, there's, I think there is a willingness to, to get involved in that matter. It seems like one of the biggest issues would be getting the, the big mortgage giants to yeah. buy off on those kind of things. Cause I mean, today in today's mortgage world, 90% of mortgages or so end up securitized by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or Jenny Mae. Um, and so you really, to make this really get legs, not just here, but nationally, um, it would probably take those agencies to embrace that kind of um, down payment assistance program. Yeah, that that would really be a big. It's a, above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about lobbying on a national level to get that kind of change enacted. Hmm. 
Wait, don't lobbyists get paid like a ridiculous amount of money to go bribe people and stuff? Be influential. Advocate. I mean, I meant be Ad, influential. They're advocators. I'll go. Who's, who's funding? Oh, you're volunteering? I'm yeah. very influential. <laughs> I'm very influential. Yeah. Didn't he say he was looking to get involved? Yeah. I'll, I'll go lobby today. I can't believe that after like six years of doing this show, we haven't even heard from like Obama or something to <laughs> want to figure out these weird laws they keep writing and doing strange things. And I just can't help but wonder... Is there is there no people that actually do these jobs for a living willing to come out and tell them, um, yeah, you know what you're doing in theory is like just missing the target, but I can tell you what you need to do to get us there. It's not that difficult, but you know, I I really don't care to get involved in politics. Oh, okay, that's, that's too bad. Not my cup of tea. I could I could lobby though. <laughs> so it sounds to me like education is the biggest hurdle right now. Yeah, for you, it's educating the public, educating the politicians as well. Yeah, and aligning professionals. You know, people have a great idea; they want to do their idea. I think, but it, you got to kind of put set your ego aside and get on the same boat as everybody, and and then everybody pull their weight forward together. Um, so yeah, education. I think alignment of the industry, uh, infrastructure is a huge problem, and I, I don't. We don't have an answer on that. The state's kind of working on some, uh, you know, different ways of infrastructure financing. Um, that could happen. The governor's trying to work on that. It's called, uh, you know, normally when you pass a bond, you need two-thirds two vote. So this one's called enhanced infrastructure financing that the governor's pushing forward that would only require, I think, a 51% uh, vote, you know. Mm. So it's a community issue, I think, is part of the issue. Is It's not just a developer issue, and it's not just an employer issue. It's a community issue. And so, you know, the community could help pull its weight as well. So yeah. I, I think that's when you get into the infrastructure side. Man, we just need more money. That's, I think that's the problem. I was thinking what some of the loans that um, it's rare to see anything like this around here, but like back east, they do like co-ops. Mm -hmm. Where there be a nice building where people own kind of airspace in it and they're like a shareholder in an overall deal. And I just started thinking, you got companies like MindBody and the like that are up and coming around town. How cool would it be if you could have something like that? Because that, that both... I mean, it even meets the down payment assistance program. If the yeah. if the big companies sponsored the cooperative and then offered the stock and then their employees were allowed to partake in that affordable housing, yeah. you know, to be tenure track employees that are, you know, eventually going to probably get out and become part of the normal housing stock. But just something like that that was like, Almost campus housing of high caliber would be smart, but all these things just take money, you know? Yeah. So a little bit of vision, a little bit of money, and a lot of guts. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it's easy. Like, we started this conversation when you're the builder. It's easy to say, you know, that's all great, but I need to make a buck today, and that's going to be an 1,800-square-foot, three-bedroom, two-bath home, and there's a spot over there. Yep. You know? Yep. And so we just keep doing the same thing, and it's just – at some point, everybody's got to just pick their heads up and go, hey, wait a minute. There's a better way to do this, and we're yeah. sure of it. Um, that's pretty wild. We're running out of time. All right, so I, I I was begging you to like tell me what can we do, and all you said was just change a little paradigm shift about how you think about the way that we need to grow and, and view housing as less than evil. Yeah. Um, 
Nothing else? You'll need anything else? Well, some yeah, money, I mean, you some could land, say a couple coffee. billion dollars for infrastructure. But yeah. uh, no, I, I think especially you, you guys, uh, on, on, you know, mortgage laws, a little advocacy there. But because you're on air and you've got a lot of listeners, you know, to help change the attitudes about what housing is. It, that's, that's, that sounds like a little thing, but it's a huge thing. Yeah. So. Right. Oh, well. Thank you much for yeah, coming in you. today. I really appreciate it. It's funny, the other day when we sat down to kind of prep for this, we spent more time together than we did on the show today. <laughs> and and I knew that we could use more time. I'd love to have you back on. Yeah, Maybe you can come, come on and give us some updates about how it's going. Or if, you know, call on us too if there's workshops or, you know, you need some people to come out that yeah. can voice an intelligent opinion about um, what we might like to see, uh, I'd, I'd love to be a part of it. And I know we have a lot of listeners that would too. So thanks again, Lenny. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. We, uh, we are run out of time. It happened again. Um, so there, uh, guys, if you have any loan needs at all, um, and I'm not necessarily just saying that you, you're trying to buy a house or refinance a house today, but if you just want to get a check and make sure that you're on the right track, um, craft a plan. You know, we got some fancy amortization schedules, maybe help you come up with a, a self-governing budget to pay your house off quicker or something. We're your, we're your partner in this. So you got a friend in the mortgage business, give us a call, let us help you. If you are involved in a, in a finance transaction, let us take a crack at it. We'd love to throw our hat in the ring. Um, find us on the web. We're at centralcoastlending.com. We got a whole bunch of resources there for you to help answer mortgage questions, bring you up to date on economic things and rates and trends. So check all that stuff out. If you just want good old fashioned people, call us at the office. One number rings all of our offices. It's 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Thank you much for listening today. Thanks again, Lenny, for being on. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. And happy birthday to my wife tomorrow. Happy birthday, baby. 